0: Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. Your Bible has a lot to say about God's one true church. It's actually quite remarkably specific. Matthew 16, verse 18, contains a staggering promise from God about the church. Matthew 16, verse 18, Christ speaking, And I say also unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ directed this promise to the chief apostle Peter and was saying that the church would be founded upon a rock, which in this case, it should be capitalized to refer to Jesus Christ himself. The church is founded on Christ. Christ founded the church 2000 years ago. And he promises that the gates of hell or death itself would never conquer God's church. In other words, this church would survive throughout the millennia all the way up until the second coming of our Savior to the earth. That is quite a remarkable, bold promise. That means that ever since the first century, it has been possible to identify where God's church on earth really is. Now, sometimes you have to look pretty closely. You have to really study into history to discover where God's church was working, where it was hiding to escape from intense persecution from a great false church. That's right. Pretty much right after the one true church was founded, Satan raised up a counterfeit church. 31 AD, the church is founded. 33 AD, the false church is founded. And toward the end of the first century, basically Satan made it so that the whole world confused that false church for the one true church of God quite astounding history to look into. It just shows as well Satan's power that he could deceive the entire world into admiring and looking to the wrong church. A church with totally different doctrines. A completely wrong focus when it comes to government. There's a church on earth today that basically twists this verse, Matthew 16, verse 18, to glorify a man as being in place of Christ himself. One man who is the vicar of Christ, as he is called. Basically worshipped as a god. But this, isn't, this verse is not talking about a man taking the place of God. It's talking about God's government within the church under Christ the head. Christ the rock, and then one man at a time through whom God is working. But you see how that could easily be twisted and counterfeited to making one man become almost a God figure today. It's pretty obvious to discover which church treats their human leader that way, even though God never meant for it to be like that. This church has taken upon itself the authority to change dates and times They've had massive influence over the calendar we all use now. They have decided to change what day is commonly recognized as the seventh day of the week, which basically obliterates Sabbath observance in the minds of most people, changing the seventh day from Saturday to Sunday. This church has raised up counterfeits for all of the true annual holy days and holy observances instituted by God. All kinds of pagan holidays replacing God's holy days. And we have a booklet for free available at thetrumpet.com, Pagan Holidays or God's Holy Days which, And you really need to study that. Just very interesting how Satan works, how he made that happen. That this church is a complete fraud and counterfeit of the one true church. Now, really, that's not the main subject for today, but it is, it is certainly worth looking into something that uh, will really inspire the imagination. The Bible repeatedly says that we need to understand how Satan operates if we're going to be able to defeat him. And here's one way he operates. He deceives the whole world with false religion. You can look in the book of Revelation and see how there is this white horse ridden by a horseman who carries a bow and arrow. And in a lot of ways, he might look like Christ, but Christ is described as carrying a sword, not a bow and arrow. To the world, though, these two horsemen, the leader of false religion versus Christ himself, look very similar. They seem interchangeable. Yet Satan is deceiving everybody with that horsemen of false religion. The entire message delivered by that false church is so far off what was supposed to be delivered by God's one true church. You can see this in Mark 1 and verse 14. Here's the message Christ himself actually preached. It says he, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Okay, <laughs> that's very different from what the false church teaches. When we have the focus of our message being the kingdom of God, it means that every day we're motivated to prepare for when that kingdom finally arrives on earth. It has nothing to do with heaven. That's another subject as well. We have an excellent Bible correspondence course that you can enroll in at bcc.hwacollege.org, bcc.hwacollege.org. Lesson 7 is all about heaven and how that is not the reward of the saved. The reward of the saved is actually the earth and eternal life after inheriting the earth. Very different from what false Christianity would tell you. But again, this kingdom of God, that's what the true gospel message is all about. And this is something that should inspire us every day, a vision that we should always keep in mind. What is the message of the false church? What is the focus there? Well, you've probably heard a lot about it. You're probably very familiar with the way the false church teaches, with the way that all of false religion teaches. This is a sign of the end time. Matthew 24, verse 5, Christ speaking, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. In other words, there's this dominant message about Christ, the person. The focus has been taken off of what Christ himself actually taught, focused on the kingdom of God, which is really the family of God ruling over the world, with God the Father in charge. Christ focusing on him, the first fruits, those called out of the world to do God's will today, marrying Christ and becoming the bride of Christ, all the rest of mankind eventually being a part of that family as well, if they so choose. Taking the focus off of that family message and just narrowing in, zeroing in on Christ's The person, for example, the little baby in a manger or pig trough after he was born, helpless and hopeless or focusing on him dead on the cross with effeminate long hair instead of actually looking manly as he actually was. Traditional Christianity focuses on the baby and the dead Christ and not the Christ who lives to this day to serve and help us as the book of Hebrews brings out. What an evil deception. So God's one true church survives through throughout these last 2000 years but is resisted and attacked every step of the way by this false church. And many in God's one true church were martyred as a result of this persecution or they went into hiding for hundreds of years, not, on, not too visible on the world scene, but still alive, just like God promised they would be. This is a little flock As Luke 12, verse 32 says, this one true church throughout all of history, it's never going to be the church with the most members, although at times it could get pretty large and influential. Not nearly to the scale of the false church, though. This church preaches the true gospel message. It's a little flock And it does survive no matter Satan's attacks. Beyond all of that, there are quite a number of doctrinal beliefs. You can find all of that at pcg.church, thetrumpet.com. You can learn all about the beliefs of God's true church. The doctrines, the truth is most important. But then there's also a lot of detailed prophecy in the book of Revelation about God's one true church. Revelation gives a time frame of all the significant prophetic events that are going to take place leading up to Christ's return and beyond, out into the universe. Not just confined to the world, but out into the universe. Revelation explains all of that to us. And Revelation 1 verse 1 gives us an idea of the structure. How this revelation was delivered. Revelation 1 verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So the revelation originates with God the Father is passed on to Jesus Christ the Son who delivers it to angels who then give it to God's man, God's servant. In this case, at this time period when the book of Revelation was delivered, that was the Apostle John. God has always worked in this way. Christ is not the central figure of the gospel, which is what false Christianity would teach. It's God. Revelation 1 verse 1 makes it very clear. Christ isn't coming up with the message. It's God himself. And Christ submits to God and he agrees with every bit of it. He's just not the originator of it. There is a big difference there. Revelation chapter 1 focuses on the fiery, all powerful, eternal, magnificent spirit being behind God's church. This is the main focus. So when we are learning about church history, when we are learning about this epic story of God's true church surviving through the millennia, thriving, in many cases, suffering from fatal flaws. In other cases, combating the great false church. All of that is fascinating, gripping, riveting history. But the focus is always on this fiery God of Revelation chapter 1. And this is just outstanding stuff here in Revelation 1, verse 8 says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. God is the beginning and the end. He has always existed and always will, and he is Almighty. There is no being more powerful, and there never will be, even though Satan rebelled against God and tried to become the most powerful, it's never succeeded. God reigns supreme in all the universe. And even today, as Satan rampages over the earth and causes all these problems, it's only to the extent that God allows within his timing Because humans have rebelled, because we have chosen to go our own way, that is why the world is in the chaotic state that it is in. And yet the time for that is almost up. Satan's time as the God of this world is almost up. And whenever God so chooses, he will depose the devil. He will kick him off the throne of the earth. He is the one in charge. The world doesn't try to obey God today for the most part. For the vast majority of the time. But there is a place on earth where God's will is being done. That is only happening in his one true church today. We have to find where that church is. God speaks to his man who passes that message along to the rest of the church. Revelation 1 verse 11 says, Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what you see right in a book "...and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea." This talks about seven churches. Now, back in the first century, these were seven literal church congregations along the same mail route in Asia Minor visited by God's ministry. These congregations did support God's work, the message going out and warning the world as a witness. So there is history in that sense. But at the same time, this would not be recorded in the book of Revelation and preserved for the rest of time unless there was some relevance to it for us today. So this is not just history, especially the part in the book of Revelation is prophecy. These seven church congregations of the first century are just a type of the seven church eras throughout the last 2,000 plus years. or almost 2,000 years. So when we learn certain dominant characteristics of these seven congregations, or these seven eras, we know that those characteristics apply throughout the last 2,000 years of history of God's church. For example, Revelation 2, verse 4, Christ says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you, because you have left your first love. Here Christ is talking about the Ephesus era of the church, the first era. He has a lot of praise for that era, but ultimately the Ephesus era is known for losing its first love. Like I mentioned, just toward the end of the first century, God's church disappeared from the scene. The false church was sort of, hazy at that time as well and then the two churches emerge from this cloud and all of a sudden everyone in the whole world thinks that the false church is actually the true church and probably because the people were not as passionate about God's truth as they used to be they made it a lot easier for Satan to usurp the true church Deceive the world using the false church. The Ephesus era left their first love. They did not get so fired up about Bible study like they used to. And it it led to the necessity of another church era to take its place. You have the second church era of Smyrna... Verse 8 says that that era was dead and is alive. Christ talks a lot about the the suffering that they went through, how some of them had to be faithful unto death to be given a crown of life. Revelation 2, verse 10. So that is a pretty great thing to be remembered for in history, this second church era. Loving God's truth enough to die for it if necessary. Now, thankfully, today, (laughs) very, very likely, none of us will have to do that. But back then, when religious freedom was not a given, like it is here in America, or or (laughs) at least it still will be for a while, hopefully, back then, it was a lot more dangerous to be public with your belief in the one true God, in, in the doctrines of God, because that false church was there to attack anyone who believed the truth. Pergamus, the third era, is known for dwelling at Satan's seat, so the seat of the great false church. God's true church was right there, warning people, clashing with the false church during the Pergamos era. I mean, it really is important for us to learn about this history because, again, it is not just history. These are the dominant characteristics of each of the seven church eras that lead all the way to Christ's return. And even when one era passes to the next... We still can learn lessons from the church eras gone by. The same characteristics that made them successful or made them fail can still be present in this seventh and final church era. This Laodicean era where people have rebelled and fallen asleep and only a tiny loyal remnant remains to serve God. We can see Bits of the characteristics of the other six church eras before, even in this seventh era today. I really am interested in this fourth era, the Thyatira era. They had to basically do their entire work underground, in hiding, and yet they had a huge part in preserving and printing or copying by hand (laughs) the Holy Bible. This was at a time when the false church did not want people to read the Bible. And yet the Thyatira era under Peter Waldo just kept right on delivering God's truth, kept right on distributing the Bible, copies of the Bible, They would commit whole books of the Bible to memory so that people could gather together and at least have a record of the Bible in their heads if they didn't have it all down on paper yet. And there were plenty of schools for teaching about the Bible during that era. You can look into... Revelation chapter 3, for the last three eras, you have Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. At thetrumpet.com, there's the autobiography of Herbert W. Armstrong. Mr. Armstrong came on the scene during the Sardis era, which is described in Revelation 3 verse 1 as being dead. They were dead. They were not producing any fruit. They were not delivering a message from God to the world. So God started the Philadelphia era through Mr. Armstrong, reaching millions of people around the world, hundreds of thousands of people coming into God's church. But at the end of that, there was the synagogue of Satan within the church that overthrew the church after Mr. Armstrong died in 1986. You can see that in Revelation 3, verse 9. So finally, there's this tiny Philadelphia remnant in the Laodicean era, the seventh and final church era before Christ's return. Now, you can learn so much more about this in Philadelphia Church of God, Pastor General Gerald Flurry's free book, The True History of God's True Church. This will be available at thetrumpet.com. I'll put it in the show notes as well. And In some of the upcoming episodes, we'll probably get into some of these church eras in more detail because it is so inspiring and yet corrective and sobering for us at the same time. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.